Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about the potential dangers with both treatment and prophylaxis of malaria. Hopefully by the time we're done, you should be able to identify the appropriate prophylactic regimens and then know how to counsel team members about potential risk of those prophylactic agents. Also, by the time we're done, hopefully you'll be able to identify the current recommendations for the effective treatment with artemisin-based combination therapies. I covered all of the malarial treatments in the WHO guidelines, including um, intravenous medications and all of that. Um, but today, I'm just going to focus on, on, the, on the ones that are a bit newer to most of us that, that we may or may not be familiar with. And so um, I'll talk about those, and again, so that you know how to counsel patients about any of those, those uh, new ACT treatments uh, and, and be aware of potential uh, risks associated with those. So that's what we want to focus on today. Again, just very, very quick, brief overview. Approximately half of the world's population is at risk for malaria, particularly those living in lower-income countries. A child dies of malaria every 30 seconds, according to the WHO key facts, and there were over 247 million cases of malaria in the year 2006. I haven't seen a more recent statistic, but those resulted in nearly 1 million deaths, mostly among African children. The good news, however, that malaria is preventable and it's curable, so uh, we can be involved in that. God can use us in some amazing ways, and so... We're going to talk just a little bit. First of all, who's at risk? Most cases and deaths are in sub-Saharan Africa. However, there are Asia, Latin America, and Middle East areas and parts of Europe that are also affected. Uh, in 2006, there were 109 countries where malaria was identified as, as a problem. Just uh, briefly, the area in red there, you've also got a, a, a diagram in, in your handout that shows you where it is. Uh, the one in your handout gives you a little extra information about some of the areas where, where uh, malaria appears to be eradicated. Effective prevention and treatment is, is resulting in some areas where it's disappearing. There are other areas where the problem's increasing even greater and there's, there's a, a, a significant resistance developing. So we're making some progress, but we're also taking some steps back. So again, who's at risk? Well, travelers from malaria-free regions with little or no immunity who go into these areas are at very high risk of the disease. People who live in an endemic area, they're exposed and sometimes low-level exposure will give them a mild immunity so that if they get malaria, it's very mild, some, as long as their immune system is, is well intact. Uh, but uh, others uh, uh, are, are, are more susceptible. Uh, travelers, though, those of us who have not been in malaria areas, we're very susceptible. And so... Uh, it's important that, that we're going to talk about chemoprophylaxis for those going into those areas. Another group that's uh, very vulnerable is pregnant women. Non-immune pregnant women are at high risk, uh, risk of malaria. Semi-immune pregnant women are at risk of severe anemia and impaired fetal growth. 
uh, even if they don't show signs of acute disease. So if they've been exposed growing up in an area, they have a mild amount of protection. They may not get severe malaria, and yet they still could become fairly anemic, one of the complications, even though they're not showing signs of disease. So as you're treating patients, that's an important thing to keep in mind. And HIV-infected pregnant women are also at much increased risk because of their decreased uh, immune uh, response. So let's talk a little bit about chemoprophylaxis and then some of the risks associated with that. We'll spend a little time there. Just, just a warning right up front, travelers and doctors should be aware that no anti-malarial prophylactic regimen gives complete protection. Okay, but good chemoprophylaxis, uh, and good involves adherence okay, to what was prescribed, so you're taking it the way you're supposed to, and taking the correct regimen. Because of resistance in many countries, some prophylactic regimens are not effective. So you need to make sure, first of all, that you're getting the right prophylactic regimen, and secondly, you need to make sure you're taking it. And it really does reduce the risk of fatal disease. A couple other things we should keep in mind when we're thinking about prophylaxis. And uh, first of all, dosing schedules for children You'll see some dosing schedules based on age, some based on weight. It's always preferable to dose based on weight. So it's best to know the weight of that child or have a good estimate uh, rather than using age. Antimalarials that have to be taken daily, they need to be started the day before you arrive in, in uh, the country uh, where the risk area is. Those anti-malarials or prophylactic agents that are being taken weekly, if you're on chloroquine, you take that one week. You start it one week before you depart so that you have it on board. If you're taking mefloquine that we're going to talk about a little later, um, that you need to start two to three weeks before you go to make sure for two reasons. One, to make sure you have adequate levels. It takes a little longer to get those levels up to where they need to be. But also, you want to know how that person is going to respond because there are some people that have some side effects to the mefloquine, and we're going to talk about those. Uh, and you'd like to know how they respond so that you can switch to an alternative therapy before you get in country. So uh, those are, are, are things that you want to think about. Now, there are a number of possible regimens. We're going to look at each of these in detail, but one is a tovaquone proguanal combination, malarone. Another is to take both chloroquine tablets plus proguanal tablets. Another is to take chloroquine alone. Another is to take mefloquine, which is a trade name larium, and then uh, doxycycline, and then proguanal, or a trade name there is paludrin. So, um, you could take proguano or chloroquine alone. Those have been used in the past. They're currently being discouraged to use those to prevent the development of re resistance, so it's discouraged to use them alone. Uh, but these are all regimens that have been used. So just a couple things about the etobicone uh, proguano combination. And most of this information should be on your handout. 
Um, I had 100 handouts. I don't know if there's still left. There were some here at the door, and there were some over here. Everybody have? There's an extra one here if anyone still needs. Okay. Um, Dose for adults, basically anyone over 40 kilos, you're going to take one adult tablet or four pediatric tablets. You have to realize that that proguanol or malarone comes in two strengths. There's an adult tablet that has 250 milligram of atovaquone and 100 milligrams of proguanol in it. Or there's a pediatric tablet that has a fourth of that, 62.5 milligrams of atovaquone and 25 milligrams of proguanol. So make sure when you're using malarone that you know whether you're using the pediatric or the standard adult tablet. Duration for, for malarone, you start one day before treatment and then you take it until seven days after uh, you return. So uh, that's, that's going to be your, your duration there that you're going to be uh, concerned about. Now, when you're using atovaquone, what drug interactions do you need to be concerned about? Um, its route of elimination is through the cytochrome P450, the, specifically the, the 2C19 pathway. So there are potential concerns about drug interactions for anything that's in that substrate. So, you know, grapefruit juice, uh, antiarrhythmics such as amiodarone, disopyramide, flaconide, procainamide, those are all potentially interacting. Uh, certain antibacterials like quinolones, um, like some of your macrolides, certain antidepressants and antifungals could all potentially interact with one of your team members who's on malarone. Now, to date, there's been no evidence that co-administration of these has caused any problems. Okay? This is a theoretical interaction, but to date, there haven't really been any published drug interactions related to its route of elimination. And generally, you know, you're, you're taking these for you know, roughly a, a, a five- to six-week period of time. And so far, there really haven't been any significant interactions reported. But you have to keep in mind there is that potential. Okay, another second possible regimen is to take chloroquine tablets plus proguanol. The dose there, the tablets are 100 milligram of the chloroquine base and 200 milligrams of the proguanol, and you take one tablet if you're over 50 kilos, so an adult over 50 kilos, one tablet once a day. It's not suggested as suitable for anyone under 50 kilos, so this regimen is not recommended for children. Yes. Right now, at least, um, at least uh, as a few months ago, um, um, all I'm aware of is that you have to take them separately. Now, the the um, artemisin-based compounds that we're going to talk about later, they're all working on developing a joint uh, formulation of all of those. Um, 
I actually did come across one place that it looked like maybe in Europe there is a combination of, of uh, chloroquine and proguanol, but I, I can't say that with certainty. So as, as far as I know, you still have to use those two separately. Um, chloroquine, and we'll look at drug interactions with each of those because each of those can be used separately, the proguanol and the chloroquine. And so drug interactions, we're going to look at the separate agents. We're not going to look at interaction of the combination um, because we'll, we'll look at it with individual agents. So chloroquine, to dose that for prophylaxis, uh, in adults, you're going to give a weekly dose of 300 milligrams of the base once a week. Some people have too much nausea and vomiting with that dose, and so it is acceptable to do it daily. If you're going to do it daily, for adults, you're going to use 100 milligrams once a day for six days, then no drug day seven. So you take a drug holiday. So you're going to have your chloroquine, 100 milligram of the base, daily, for six days, take a day off, and you do that um, duration-wise. Um, weekly, you start one week before departure, continue through your trip, and then um, every week for four weeks after you return. If you're doing daily, um, you'll just start one day before departure, and you continue for four weeks after. So, so um, if you're doing the, the weekly, you start one week before you leave. If you're doing the daily, you start one day before you leave. Uh, in both cases, you carry four weeks thereafter. So the drug interactions that you might see with, with um, the chloroquine, um, there really haven't been any major drug interactions that have occurred. But again, there are some potential theoretical interactions that can occur with chloroquine. And again, we're talking prophylaxis, so mostly teammates. Now, if you were thinking patients in country, you know, some of these drugs, they might not very well be on, but team members might be on some of these, so you may need to at least think about it. There's a theoretical increased risk of arrhythmia for someone on chloroquine, um, especially if they're given um, a, another anti-malarial that I'm not going to really talk about because we don't use it much here, uh, is uh, halophantrine. Um, but it also can occur with mefloquine. So larium, uh, one of the others, um, uh, again, it would be unusual that you'll be on chloroquine and <laughs> mefloquine at the same time. Um, but again, there is potential there. There's also some reduced metabolism and reduced clearance of uh, H2 blockers like cimetidine. Uh, there can be some dystonic uh, reactions with metronidazole, with flagyl. And there can be reduced bioavailability of ampicillin and prosequantil. Okay, so if a teammate uh, develops uh, another uh, uh, amoebic infection and needs to be on, on uh, something like prosequantil, then you have to be uh, uh, keep that in mind that that um, chloroquine can decrease the absorption of that agent. 
There's also a possible antagonistic effect of anti-epileptic drugs like carbamazepine and, and sodium valparate, so may reduce the effectiveness of those. So if you have a team member who has epilepsy on one of those or prophylactically on that to prevent any seizures because they've had one in the past, again, just be aware there's potential for that interaction. Okay, mefloquine or lyrium, dose is 250 milligram tablet once a week. Duration, you want to start, as I said before, two to three weeks before departure, and then you continue weekly until four weeks after. Okay, the mefloquine, again, um, you've got... Uh, um, your, your concentrations can be increased when you're on ampicillin or tetracycline or something like uh, metoclopramide. Also, there is an increased risk of arrhythmia if you're on a beta blocker or a calcium channel blocker. Um, also, um, digoxin can, can uh, 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 fit in there too. And there is also a risk of int uh, increase in convulsions. Um, if they're on chloroquine or quinine along with the mefloquine. So, again, those are, are things. Uh, none of these drug interactions are very common, but they're always things that you have to think about if someone's having um, some, some uh, difficulties. Okay, doxycycline. Dose given once a day. So you're going to give daily, start one day before departure, and then daily through the trip, and daily until four weeks after returning. Trigger interactions to think about with doxycycline. Now, doxycycline has a lower affinity for um, um, binding with calcium, so it's safe to give doxycycline with food and meals, but it may have uh, reduced absorption if someone's on antacids or iron, okay? So calcium is, uh, you know, the, in the diet, the, the milk doesn't seem to bother it that much, but if they're on an intense calcium carbonate and acid regimen, then you could affect your absorption of your doxycycline. If you're on iron, the iron uh, can also chelate or bind to that doxycycline and decrease its absorption. So those are two things to keep in mind. Metabolism can be accelerated um, um, by drugs that induce hepatic enzymes, um, such as carbamazepine or phenytoin or phenobarbital or ifampicin, and also uh, with chronic alcohol use. Uh, there, there can be... Um, uh, accelerated metabolism of, of the doxycycline. So those are things to, to keep in mind. Uh, lastly, if you were taking the progronal alone or the paludrine, uh, the dose for adults is going to be two 100-milligram tablets daily. Pediatrics, you're going to take three milligram per kilo daily. Got a nice table summarizing pediatric dosing in a minute. Duration, you're going to start one day before departure and then take it daily until four weeks after you return. The drug interactions that you want to think about here is, is um, it can 
interfere with warfarin. So if you have a patient, or a team member, I should say, who's also on warfarin, that's something to keep in mind if they're going to be uh, placed on, on the proguanol or the chloroquine plus proguanol. It can interfere with, with their, their uh, warfarin. Um, absorption is also reduced with magnesium trisilicate. So if they're on a magnesium trisilicate antacid, there that can be a concern. You can have reduced absorption of, of uh, uh, this particular drug. So pediatric doses, just summarized here. It's listed both by age and by weight. Again, it's always best to, to dose by, age, uh, by weight. So for chloroquine, if you're doing it once weekly, under six kilos, a fourth of a tablet. Okay, six to 10 kilos, a half tablet, 10 to 16 kilos, three quarters of a tablet, 16 to 25, one tablet, 25 to 45 kilos, one and a half tablets, and 45 and over, two tablets. So you've got your doses there for proguanol, for mefloquine, larium, not recommended for under six kilos. Doxycycline, not recommended for under 13 years of age, so under 45 kilos. So doxycycline only for adult team members. Malarone, again, um, probably not for children under 10 kilos, so under one year, you wouldn't use the malarone. Um, for uh, 10 to 16 kilos, one tablet, actually up to 25 kilos, one tablet, uh, 25 to 45, two, uh, and that's other pediatric tablets, and then one adult tablet for anyone 45 kilos and over. Yeah? Um, no. Um, well, the absorption ones, yes. Um, um, those that you're concerned about add acids and, 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 or iron and absorption by separating that, that's a problem. Most of your other drug interactions are, are going to be based on what's in the bloodstream, and, and that's not going to be related to whether or not you're taking it once a week or not. You're taking it once a week because the concentrations may are maintained in sufficient levels uh, throughout uh, uh, the body to be able to to uh, um, affect any of the uh, malaria parasites that are dormant in the in the liver um, or in, in uh, uh, the um, red blood cells. So, are you, are you going to mention any of the side effects of these medications? Yep. Um, um, you can look back on, on, on the previous one, but the chloroquine is, is the, the 100 milligram of the base. Uh, the proguanol is, um, is a uh, 100 milligram tablet as well. So chloroquine is 100 milligram of the base. And, and proguanol is a 100 milligram tablet. You have a mispronouncing under, under melanoma? Yeah. Under interaction, drug interaction, does the manufacturer of Artemita or Zumafantin recommend such and such? That should be melanoma, right? Um, yes. 
that should be oh yeah you're right that that is wrong um, but uh, it is also um, in the cytochrome P450 system and it is SIP2 um, uh, 2C19 that, that uh, you are concerned about um, with with um, with the atovaquone. Okay. Uh, yes. Many of the medications, as you mentioned, are not available, are not uh, appropriate for chloroquine-resistant uh, uh, areas. And you know, I, I think this this shows that there are some places it's just not wise to take early pregnant women and young children on, on mission trips. Okay, so now coming back to the question about adverse effects with these. So adverse reactions attributed to malaria chemoprophylactic agents are common, but most are minor and do not affect the activities of travelers. So things like um, mild nausea, occasional vomiting, loose stools, about 8 to 12% of people taking many of these agents will have those, um, but that doesn't necessarily prompt you to discontinue the prophylaxis, um, but you do need to make sure that you're monitoring those patients very carefully and making sure they can tolerate it. There are a couple things that you can do if that happens, and, and uh, um, usually uh, by uh, splitting the dose and, and taking uh, it, uh, not taking it all at once can often help a lot of that that nausea that's associated with that. Serious adverse events, especially severe neuropsychiatric disturbances, seizures, psychosis, encephalopathy, occur in about one in every 10,000 travelers who receive mefloquine prophylaxis. Um, that it also occurs with chloroquine at about the same rate. So it's not just mefloquine. Uh, it occurs as well. So it's something you have to be very cognizant of, and that's why one of the reasons why it's suggested that, that mefloquine is started two to three weeks before you depart because you, if you're going to have those kinds of reactions, and many times it's just bizarre nightmares, dreams. Sometimes it's changes in behavior and inappropriate behavior, um, and, and it does occur, and you as a team leader uh, who's responsible for that team, you need to be monitoring and watching for those. Um, but uh, it is uh, something that, that is uh, possible. Um, uh, but again, you'll just have to figure out based upon risk whether or not you think that's uh, something that you need to be concerned about. Rare serious adverse events with atovaquone, progranol, or doxycycline haven't really been documented, although um, uh, do have a friend, and, and, and I see Anne is here in the audience. Her husband, Tim, told me about one of the patients that they had, or one of the team members that they had on their team in Central Africa, 
that was on doxycycline that really developed a severe autoimmune hepatic reaction to doxycycline. So again, any of these can occur. You can have rare events with anything. So you just have to be aware of them and monitor for them uh, and, and that type of thing. So um, if they develop, then it's important that that uh, anti-malarial prophylaxis be stopped and other measures uh, be implemented uh, and those, those uh, team members monitored very closely. Okay, what about compatibility with other, you know, pregnancy, for example? Chloroquine can be used safely in pregnancy. Proguano can be used safely in pregnancy. And mefloquine can be during the second and third trimesters. Mefloquine or larium should not be used during the first trimester, but it can be used second and third trimesters. Doxycycline and malarone should not be used in pregnancy. Breastfeeding, chloroquine, proguanol are okay. Uh, the mefloquine, doxycycline, and malarone should not be used in breastfeeding. Epilepsy, again, chloroquine and mefloquine can cause people to be more sensitive to seizures and interact with the seizure medications, so they're not recommended in any patients with epilepsy. Uh, proguanol, doxycycline, and malarone can be. Psoriasis, uh, you can have certain skin reactions, uh, rashes with chloroquine, and so people with psoriasis, it's not recommended that they uh, be on the, the chloroquine regimen. But the other agents are fine. If you're in an area where you're at high altitude and people are prone to altitude sickness, then mefloquine, and same thing with scuba diving where you're going deep, um, uh, mefloquine is, is not uh, an agent you want to have those patients on. So if you're someplace where you're taking the team scuba diving, uh, make sure that your <laughs> team members who want to scuba dive are not uh, taking uh, mefloquine. Yes. Um, for uh, uh, just your community, Tetracycline, it should um, be effective. I don't know that it has been studied intensely. Um, uh, it's not used as commonly. If someone's on it, theoretically, it should still be able to protect uh, against mal uh, malaria the same way doxycycline does. But again, um, there's no evidence that, that uh, confirms that it is effective. Uh, but theoretically, it should, it should still work. Comment maybe. No, not approved. Uh, I, I really don't like recommending doxycycline anymore. Uh, I've just seen it not be effective a lot, and certainly in West Africa and Southeast Asia. Uh, the, the team members that I've had get malaria involved in doxycycline. And so, I, I mean, I, I can't say that's evidence-based, but it's certainly experience-based, and so I no longer... Plus, the light sensitivity issue is real, especially if you're yep. in, uh, you know, 
most of the places we go are really hot. And, and, and lots of times so you're out in the sun. I know it's, it's, it's you like to do it because it's really cheap. You know, Malarone, seven bucks a pill. Doxy's, you know, you know, four dollars for the whole course. But yeah. uh, I, my experience has been really poor with Doxy, so I, I just... And, and I, I've seen a teammate develop severe joint discomfort with it as yeah. well. And, and, and so, yeah, but, you know, there's, there's disadvantages to all these. And, and people just have to realize that there are many different options and you have to make a choose, choice. Some people are willing to pay the 300-some the dollars for a course of Malarone. Uh, some people who, who respond nicely to Larium would prefer that, taking only one tablet a week instead of taking something every day. So, you know, there, there's not a magic answer. Back to the question about these not being effective, what you need to do is the WHO and the CDC, and even there's a site in the UK, that, that keep up to date the, the resistance patterns for both the treatment and the prophylaxis of malaria. So where whenever you go, not just the first time you go, but whenever you go, you should always check those sites to see what the current recommendation, because those sometimes could change monthly uh, as, as new data comes out as to what they're recommending or recommending may not be effective. And there are a number of, of these that are not effective in certain areas. You can't put that in a textbook because it's dependent upon the area, but that information is maintained on a number of websites at the CDC, at uh, the WHO, uh, and, uh, under their uh, malaria site. Yes? I had a question about the doxycycline failure. Did the people take it every day and for four weeks after? I mean, these were failures during the trip. They all got, I mean, everyone on the got malaria in Ghana uh, last month. Every person. Um, you know, the other thing I would comment on, I, I'm a big stickler for mosquito prophylaxis. Yeah. And so many, many of those teammates were not using, you know, mosquito netting, which is really hot. But... Uh, uh, every fail, every person on Doxy failed, everyone, and they had taken it uh, every day. Don't hate on Doxy too much, because Doxy's wonderful in some places. I had a rare reaction to the uh, larium, and almost died from taking larium, and uh, there's some places with resistance to all of them, but Doxy's been great in some places. I know I've taken Doxy, but every single one of my teammates got it, and no one's ever got it. So it just depends on your preference and... Yeah. If you want to take a risk to Another advantage of Doxy is it helps prevent uh, the aberrant E. coli diarrhea that's a fair with the area. That's the yes. What happens with Uh, I'm not exactly sure how high is high, but it's the, the neuropsychiatric things that are going on. Um, you seem to be much more sensitive to those issues, whatever for whatever reason. Um, uh, people tend to have more of the bizarre uh, dreams, the, the just loss of self-control. Uh, behavioral disturbances, those things become more common. I'm not quite sure how it's, it's, it's CNS activity is affected by 
atmospheric pressure. So whether it gets too low or whether it gets too high as you go deep, uh, there, it, it just seems to alter the way the body uh, responds to it. Um, so it's experience-wise, six thousand feet in area um, aren't good. Okay. So above six thousand feet. No, at six thousand. At six thousand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, well, let's move on to uh, the treatment. Again, probably, you know, we've got greater concerns with our team members and drug interactions and that type of thing. But as we're, as we're treating patients, we also need to be thinking about those patients that, that, that uh, we're taking care of. And, you know, the, the old treatments, chloroquine, quinine, um, not very effective in most places, not recommended for at least for routine. There may be certain situations where you need to use those. Um, but the current recommendation is that the treatment of choice for uncomplicated falciparum malaria is a combination of two antimalarials that have different mechanisms of actions. Single drug treatment increases your chance of the parasites uh, evolving and becoming resistant, so you don't use a single agent. You want to use two agents, two agents that have a different mechanism of action. So currently, artemisin-based combination therapies, or ACTs, are the recommended treatment of choice in most areas, uh, specifically in Southeast Asia, uh, where there's a lot of multi-drug resistance. The, the preferred are tejunate-mefloquine combination, or artemether and lumefantrine. The artemether lumefantrine is the coartum that was approved here in the U.S. in 2009, the only antimalarial uh, 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 artemisin-based uh, product approved in the U.S. is, is the coartum and that artemether uh, lumefantrine combination. In Africa, the three potential regimens are artemether lumefantrine, artesunate plus uh, modioquin, or artesunate plus sulfadoxine pyrimethamine. So depending on where you are in Africa, one of those may be preferred. One or more of those may not be effective at all. And again, to know, you've got to go and check it out at, at uh, um, either the CDC or the WHO to see what uh, the current resistance patterns for uh, malaria are in the place where you're going. So artemisin-based component of your combination of two drugs, that artemisin-based component needs to be given for at least three days. Artemisin and in derivatives... The artesunate, the artemether, there's others, uh, artemitol, uh, dihydroartemisinin. Um, they all produce rapid clearance of parasites from the blood and rapid resolution of the symptoms. Uh, and so they're fairly uh, uh, good agents. Now, artemisinin derivatives are eliminated fairly rapidly. Uh, when given in combination with rapidly eliminated compounds like tetracyclines or clindamycin, you need to give a seven-day course of treatment with that artemisin compound. If you're going to give it with a slowly eliminated antimalarial, you can use a shorter case, three days. And most of the ones, the combinations that are recommended now, are three-day courses. And so the ones I'm going to show you in the next few slides are going to be three-day courses.
So ACTs that have amiodoquin or atovaquin proguanol or chloroquine or clindamycin or doxycycline or lumefantrine or mefloquine or piperaquine or uh, um, proguanol dapsone combination or a sulfadoxine pyrimethamine combination or any tetracycline, they've all been evaluated in trials. And when they've looked at the artemethin component, there's just very minor differences in absorption and variability, but there's really no clinically significant difference. So the artemisin component, it really doesn't make a lot of difference which one it is. They all seem to work fairly well, just minor differences in absorption and, and that type of thing. But what it becomes important is the partner drug. When you take that second drug with the different mechanism of action, that's what becomes very effective, uh, uh, important as it relates to differences in effectiveness and, and uh, resistance in some cases. So it's, it's the combination, that second agent with the artemisin, that's often important as it relates to effectiveness. Um, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to just hit these real quickly. You've got the table there. I'm not going to go through it. Dosing for coartem, the first one, artemether lumefantrine there. That's the preferred. Take one now, one eight hours, one in 24 hours, one in 36 hours, one in 48 hours, and one in 60 hours. Many people are never going to remember that. So an alternative that's just as ex uh, acceptable is you take the number of tablets, whether it be one, two, three, or four, you take them twice a day for three days. Okay? Most of your patients will be able to follow that regimen. This, was, this is ideal if you can get your patients to take it. This is what the studies have shown is best, but the other's, the other's acceptable. A couple things we should think about this is that recent evidence shows that, that it is safe in uh, young children less than 10 kilos. Uh, that seems to be consistent with what's shown in older children. They've been testing it. And so now that combination is now recommended for patients uh, 5 kilos and above. Earlier it wasn't, and now they, there's been enough data collected that they're uh, confident that, that it's acceptable up to that. Um, absorption is enhanced by co-administration with fat. So it's important when you're giving out your co-artem to your patients to make sure that if possible, they take that with a meal, preferably a fatty meal. You're not going to be able to do that in a lot of instances, but if you can, they'll get much better absorption. Okay? So make an effort. Encourage the patients, if possible, to take this with milk or other fat-containing food. Uh, there's usually some type of food in country that, that uh, uh, people love, and maybe you could identify that and uh, encourage them to, to uh, take it with that. Uh, and that's especially important on your second and third days of treatment. You know, that first day, but then you want to get your absorption increased. Uh, and, and so if they can be doing that, that's good. Tartesunate and meodioquin uh, combination. Again, the doses there, you've got that. Things to remember about that. Um, Currently, they're available as separate scored tablets, 50 milligrams of artesunate and 153 milligrams of the amiodoquin base. 
Um, they are currently working on a, a, uh, a joint um, combination product, with, uh, but it's not uh, yet available. It's available in West Africa. Is it now? Yeah, I bought it. Okay, okay. Um, uh, the last WHO report said that I have uh, said that they're working on, on it, so um, good. That, that is coming out and, uh, and available some places now. Resistance is likely to worsen with continued availability of chloroquine and amiodoquine as monotherapies, so that's something to keep in mind. If people continue to use chloroquine alone or amiodoquine alone, you're going to have more and more resistance, and so this combination is going to become less and less effective. So uh, it's, you know, again, it's something to keep in mind. Um, uh, it's something we'll have to monitor closely. Artesunate plus the mefloquine can be used. The dose is given there. The mefloquine is just given on one day or with the higher doses in the older children and the adults. You will probably want to split it up. Okay. Ultimately, um, they need to have um, a, a larger dose but many patients won't tolerate it. They'll have too much gastrointestinal upset. And so you can split that and give uh, two-thirds of the dose on day two and the last third on, on day three. So, again, another regimen, a little bit more complicated. Um, the same drug interactions apply to nephilim as we talked about before. Again, it's uh, associated with the increased nausea um, you can uh, uh, solve that by splitting it up and you give 15 milligram per kilo on one day followed by 10 milligram per kilo on the next day. Or you could split it up in uh, a daily dose for three doses if, if they're still having problems with, with the two doses. The, the artesunate, sulfadoxine, pyrimethamine, um, again, um, the dose is there. Um, couple things to keep in mind with a single dose of sulfadoxine, pyrimethamine is sufficient. It's necessary, however, to give that artesunate for three days. So the artemisin component has to be three days, although um, the uh, Fancidar uh, part is just going to be a single dose. Resistance is likely to worsen with continued availability of, of uh, sulfadoxine pyrimethamine, sulfalene pyrimethamine, and cotrimoxazole. As they're used more and more, you're going to get more and more resistance. Resistance is already a problem in many areas. So this particular combination is not going to be effective in a lot of areas. So again, you've got to go back. You've got to monitor. You have to know. Okay, treatment precautions. Now, as far as the artemisin components, neurotoxicity has been observed in animals treated with uh, the, these agents. But when they've done assessments in humans, there's never been any evidence shown of neurotoxicity in people. Okay? When a lot of drugs come out on the market, we don't know long-term side effects until it's been used for years. So it's possible we could see some of these in the future. So keep it in the back of your mind. It's been shown in animals. But so far, 
there has not been any neurotoxicity demonstrated for any of the artemisin components. Concerns over the risk of severe liver or skin reactions to sulfadoxine pyrimethamine treatment um, are, are concerns. It seems to be there's less and less reports of them, um, but it's still still a concern. Again, that's one you don't want to use probably because of the resistance anyway, but keep in mind that there have been um, um, uh, reports of those. What about pregnancy? Antimalarials considered to be safe in the first trimester of pregnancy are quinine, chloroquine, progranol, pyrimethamine, and sulfadoxine, pyrimethamine. Of these, quinine remains to be the most effective, can be used in all trimesters of pregnancy, including the first trimester. If an agent that's not supposed to be used in, in um, pregnancy Many times you don't learn the patient's pregnant until they're already on the medication. Question comes up, do you need to terminate that pregnancy? And the answer is no. Uh, Intervertent exposure to antimalarials is not an indication to terminate a pregnancy. So um, there's also increasing experience with artemisin derivatives in the second and third trimester. So originally it says don't do it. We don't know officially on the labeling. But now there are over a 1,000 documented pregnancies and there haven't been any adverse effects on the mother or the fetus. So at least in the second and third trimester, it may be safe to use artemisin-based compounds. So labeling, official labeling says don't. Um, That probably will be changing because there's now enough evidence in in, uh, patients that it's maybe safe uh, to use those at least in the second and third trimester. Problem comes with the partner medication. That makes your choice very difficult in pregnancy. Mefloquine's been associated with an increased risk of stillbirth in a large study in Thailand. But when they did that study in Malawi, they didn't see that. So, you know. You're just not totally sure there, um, but use it cautiously if, if you use it. Amiodoquone and lumefantrine have not been evaluated sufficiently, so you can't positively recommend those. Um, sulfadoxine pyrimethamine is safe, but again, it's ineffective in many areas, and uh, so you have to keep that in mind. And primaquine and the tetracycline should never be used in pregnancy. Lactating mothers, the amount of ACT uh, in ACT antimalarials that enter breast milk and therefore likely to be consumed by the infant uh, are relatively small. So the only exception is Dapsone. We didn't discuss that, but sometimes Dapsone is used. There you have relatively large amounts, 14% of the adult dose getting into breast milk. So don't use Dapsone in... in, uh, uh, lactating mothers, but it should be safe to use the others. Tetracyclines are contraindicated because of the effect on, on the infant's bones and teeth. No known drug interactions for the artemisin components yet, anyway. So none have been identified so that you have to worry about that. Again, the partners, the mefloquine or uh, the other, the proguanol, uh, those things, there are. So 
Conclusion, malaria prevention and prompt treatment often requires the use of effective uh, anti-malarials that many practitioners don't routinely use. So those medications are not benign and most uh, are not benign and do have potential adverse uh, events and drug interactions. So be sure to think about those. Use the knowledge that you've been given to do what you can to prevent those adverse events. Yes. Uh, for those people that have you know um, experienced some of these different drugs and have used them, uh, I know we talked a little bit about cost, especially between like doxycycline or malarum, But is there a large discrepancy between most of these drugs? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get. I should have got updated figures. But a few years ago, malarone will cost you about three hundred or four hundred dollars for your short-term trip. Uh, Larium was about sixty to eighty dollars, and doxycycline was four dollars. Chloroquine is probably five to ten dollars, depending on uh, where you're going. These drugs are available very inexpensively in the country you're going, and and many times. When that's an issue, we have people get a few tablets in them before they leave and then buy them if you know they're available in the country you're going. The the additional factor there is counterfeiting. In many other countries, uh, many medications are not what is noted on the label or in the same potencies. Yeah, it's a significant problem with antimalarials, so you do have to be aware of that. Yes? West Africa, we typically just used uh, Lonart, which is the lumefantrine, and uh, artesanate. If they're obviously, you know, comatose with cerebral malaria, you still use quinine. And uh, you can use the injectable artemeter as well in, in comatose patients. But, uh, I mean, yeah, the, the risk in pregnancy is, is the malaria, not the right. drug. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in East Africa, we would do the same. And um, keep in mind, most of the countries, their departments of health will have a recommendation often for pregnant women that they take three Fansadar tablets or they take some sort of prophylaxis during pregnancy. So when you're seeing your patients, if you're not providing them that, according to the Ministry of Health, then you're practicing substandard care for the country you're visiting. Yes. So in East Africa, are they doing that as a standard? Because it came out in Ghana a couple of years ago, and nobody up where I was they are doing it in many in many places in East Africa. So I can push for them to do that. Yeah, according to whatever the Ministry of Health says within your country, yeah. there, there are often guidelines. Yeah, there are often guidelines, and they often make the medications available too. Um, uh, so so you want to be aware of that. Um, I think I had here and then here. Um, if you have somebody, a team member who is on prophylaxis and then gets malaria, you stop their prophylaxis. Um, you're going to stop the prophylaxis and you're going to start the treatment. And treatment is probably going to, well, uh, is this someone long-term on the field or a short-term trip? Um, treatment is probably going to extend till they're home. So, well. But the medicine will still be in their system at the time they're there. Yeah. Yeah, well, again, if, if they're there for four weeks, then, then yeah, you probably would want to restart your, your prophylaxis. But if it's just a, a matter of, of a week or so, then you're, you're covered. Yes? 
Oh, sorry. Kate. I've heard a lot of I know a lot of people who have gone like long term and just don't take prophylaxis at all. Right. And I, I'm just wondering if anybody has experience. Like, at what point does it become kind of not realistic to take prophylaxis for a year, two years? That, that will be one that I'm going to defer to some of the people here that have been there long term because they've had to make those decisions. Unfortunately, I haven't. Yes. Our organization has had a number of missionaries who long term determined that they did not need anti malaria prophylaxis. We've had the deaths of individuals who have been veteran missionaries who decided that they didn't need anti malaria and they ended up with cerebral malaria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The International Society of Travel Medicine last year published a study that the, the death rate of cerebral malaria has not changed in 60 years. One-third of people with cerebral malaria die. One-third of permanent neurologic deaths. And they encourage people to take their Yeah, yeah. My question is about you, but I've been on my own for two years, and I'm sitting here today, so. Yeah. I have debates about if I want to go back to Tanzania with taking it or not. Some of that really depends on on how you know the, the the rate of malaria in that area. I mean, in a in a place where you're treating malaria every day, then I would definitely be on prophylaxis. Uh, I lived in southern Africa for six years. In in the dry areas where we were, we never saw a case of malaria. There's no need to take it. We just took it when we traveled over to to Swaziland or areas where there was where you know where malaria was a problem. Um, so it really depends on where you are and... and, and I treat it all the time, and uh, I've never yet had it two years and two years. Yeah. Um, Terry, you had a question here. I just, I just wanted to make a comment as a retail pharmacist filling uh, prescriptions for these. A lot of your uh, people have insurance, but the way its process makes a huge difference on your cost. And you have to have a pharmacist who's willing to play with it. You may need to call your insurance company first because that can be a big difference. The way it's processed can save you hundreds of dollars, short term or even long term. Because long term, some of the companies people have insurance and they can uh, adjust it and get it so they can get the coverage for long term. You may just need to call and get special authorization put in the pharmacy system before it's processed. But some pharmacists will play for it with you. Some will not. So just be aware that you don't necessarily need to be paying very large amounts. It may just be the way it's being processed and take the time to um, either talk to your pharmacist or call your insurance company first. I agree with her. Why write for ours? I want POQID for 100 pills. It costs us $40. Okay, yes. I'm just going to add a quick thing about larium, too. Larium is no longer prescribed by the military to our deployed men and women because of the reactions it's had. And I think that's kind of a big deal as far as, like, there's a lot of other drugs that you take besides larium, but there's more than one in 10,000 know, reactions and stuff. And men and women have serious, serious, serious reactions to larium. So that's just something to research if you're going to take that drug. Yes. Just the last question I have. Um, I, mean, I don't have a specific thing in mind right now, but I know that uh, if you were going to, you found that you were going to go into a certain place, what would be kind of the best, um, uh, the best hub or the best place to look at to determine what type of 
drugs you want to go look at what resistance is in that area. The CDC and WHO, they, I think they maintain basically the same information. They keep it up to date. There's also a site in the UK where they, they monitor that as well.